All right, good morning, church. So, so glad to be with you here today. Hey, thanks for picking up that bucket on the right-hand side. We appreciate that so much as we collect our offering. Hey, my name is Glenn Griner, and I'm on staff here at Union Chapel, and I'm really excited. You picked a great weekend to be in church, because not only is the air conditioner working, oh yeah, oh yeah, but we're starting a brand new series on the names of God. And see, when, when we're talking about the names of God, it's more than just a label or, or you know, something that sounds good with his last name or something like that. The names of God describe his character. And the better you understand who God is, the more he can change your own life. And, and I'm of the belief that I need more of God in my life. And so that's, that's what this whole series is about. And today, the word of God that we're talking about is Jehovah Shalom. And in case you're not a Hebrew scholar or you didn't grow up in church, that means God is peace. God, your peace. God, my peace. And I can use some more peace. Oh, man. And so uh, today, this passage comes from Judges 6, and we're going to begin in verse 14. So if you would, if you're able, please feel free to stand in honor of reading God's word. So Judges 6, 6, 14. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, well, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign so that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an epa of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to the angel under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared, like, beam me up, Scotty. And when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to Gideon, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And to this day, it stands and Ophrah of the Asburites or something that sounds like that. <laughs> Thank you. You may be seated. You know, sometimes we can get a little funny when we talk about peace. You know, we can like put the headbands on and grow our hair out, get the little round glasses and don the tie-dye and end every sentence with man and groovy. And, and, and we think about, you know, those ma maple leaves, right? They're maple leaves, you know, maple leaves. And anyway, well, well, I digress a little bit. But regardless, regardless, we can think about peace in awkward ways or ways that really aren't accurate to what true peace is. And there are some peaceful things like, like sticking your toes in the sand in Florida. There's some peace right there for you. Or hanging out at the lakes. That's, that's peace too. And sometimes we can confuse peace with ease. Or we can confuse peace with pleasure. But true peace, God peace, Jehovah Shalom is much bigger than a feeling. In fact, it, it totally eclipses our feelings. 
And so true peace, it's more than rest and calm. And true peace, it comes when you are rightly connected to God. And so true peace gives us confidence. True peace gives us hope. And true peace transcends our circumstances. And peace is a major theme throughout the Bible. In fact, it's mentioned in the Old and New Testaments 429 times. And so peace is a big deal. And I want you to think of peace a little differently. Um, When it comes to the problems that I have in my life that are my fault, and this is probably true for you too, most of those problems that are my fault go back to me having a lack of peace. Here's what I mean. Let's say you struggle with food. And so what happens is that you go to food to try to find peace. And so you eat and you feel fulfilled. Maybe you feel empty and the food helps you feel a little, little more full. And, but it's only temporary. It has some other side effects. That's peace we really need to get from God. And you can transfer that to any addiction, whether it's, whether it's uh, sex, drugs, pornography, alcohol, or even exercise. Yes, some people can be addicted to exercise. I wish I had that problem, but I don't. And so what we're doing is we're going to these things to try to find the peace that can only come from God. I want you to think of peace more than a feeling, but peace as having confidence in God. Because when you're confident in God, you know that regardless of the circumstances, that God is with you. That regardless of what happens to you, that he has you in his hands and that you can trust him. And when we look at Gideon, we realize that God had big plans for Gideon. And something that the angel informs us of is that Gideon, he was not ready. And the angel came to get Gideon ready for the things that God had for him. I want to give you a little bit of background. And so in this passage, the Midianites, they have been oppressing Israel for like seven years. And here's what they've been doing. They would go out and they would raid different areas in Israel. They never knew when they were going to come. And here's what they would do. They would steal their food. They would steal their animals and they would have like a big party right there and they would, they would eat stuff and what, whatever they didn't want to take back with them, whatever they didn't consume, they completely destroyed. And this happened so much that the Israelites, they had to make like little shacks or homes in the hills and the caves and away from where the Midianites could find them. And this had been going on for seven years. And in fact, it says in verse four that the Midianites did not spare a living thing. And here's what this angel taught Gideon. He taught Gideon that there's a prerequisite for true peace. There's a prerequisite for the peace that comes from God. I want you to put this first thought on the screen here. Check this out. Peace starts with believing what God says about you. This is point one. This is step one. You can't go to step two until you take care of this. We must believe what God says about us. And when we look at Gideon and his circumstances, we realize that it's it's almost comical. It's almost comical because here's Gideon. The angel, he appears underneath this oak tree and Gideon is in a wine press. And a wine press, it's not like this mechanical device that you would think of today. A wine press was actually either a hole in the ground or, or a spe- the best wine presses, they were big, big holes hewn out of rock. And so what they would do is they would stomp on the grapes with their feet and then the, the, the juice of the wine would go into a lower spot and they would collect it which makes me think, gross, gross, gross. You know, Uncle Bob's toe jam in my wine. No, thank you very much. Okay, I digress a little bit. But, and so here's Gideon. He's in this wine press. He's threshing wheat. And so the process of threshing wheat is you kind of rub it together and you throw the wheat up in the air. The wind blows away the chaff and the grain falls to the ground and you collect it. And so Gideon is in this hole in the ground trying to throw this up. He's trying to, and he wants to keep it away from the Midianites. 
And the angel of the Lord comes to the edge of the wine press and he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Because here he is, and he's like, Shh, be quiet. The Midianites are going to hear you. They're going to see me and take this stuff and get me and kill me. And, and so he's filled with fear in the midst of all this. And the angel knows he's got a little bit of work to do. In fact, Gideon, he takes another step. I'm really good at this. I'm, I'm great at excuses, just like Gideon. And Gideon says, uh, pardon me, my Lord, um, but how can I save Israel? Uh, my clan is the least in Manasseh, and our family is the least, and I'm the least. So you've got the wrong guy for the job. Thank you very much. And so Gideon didn't see himself like God saw him. And so many times, I don't see myself like God sees me, and that's true for you too. Because our identity, who we are in Christ, and how God sees us, and how we see ourselves is under constant attack. And the devil, he's constantly throwing thoughts in your mind. And here's, the devil, he never comes to me like with a pitchfork and a forked tongue and goes, blah, I'm going to get you, Glenn, I'm going to destroy your life. <sighs> he masquerades around in my mind disguised as me. And so he speaks to me in the first person. He's like, man, I'm such a loser. I'm such a goofball. I don't even deserve to be in here. How could God ever use me? And because those thoughts, they, we feel like they come from us, we don't even think twice about them. We just accept them. And we, we actually believe them. And it's destructive to our peace with God because we can't experience the peace of God if we're believing lies about ourselves. And sometimes we can feel like nobodies. One of the things I love most about the Bible, there's a lot of things I love about the Bible, but one of the things I love the most about the Bible is that the vast majority of our heroes have some serious, serious problems. I mean, Adam and Eve talk about playing the blame game. Oh, my goodness. And Noah, he got, he got wasted and passed out naked. We're just moving on from that. That happened. You can look that up. Abraham, he lied, lied, lied all the time. Jacob was a master manipulator. Moses had such a bad temper, he ended up killing somebody. If you were here for our series, a Goliath must fall on David and Goliath, we realized that David, he had some serious problems. He took advantage of this girl, had her husband killed, tried to cover it up, struggled as a father. And we jumped to the New Testament, Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his country. James and John, those boys had some serious mommy issues. Oh my goodness. And Peter, he was a loudmouth hothead. And Paul imprisoned and murdered Christians before he started following Christ. And so you can just take your excuses and all your problems, all your issues, all your hangups, you can just add yourself to that list. Welcome to the party. In fact, welcome to Union Chapel because none of us have it figured out, including your pastor. And so we're all trying to figure it out together. And so we don't have it, we don't have, we don't have it all together. And that's a good thing. You know, in fact, when you think about it, we call ourselves Christians, which means little Christ. And so we're all hypocrites. Welcome, welcome to Union Chapel, the church of hypocrites. <laughs> You know, we're following Jesus, we're doing the best that we can, but we don't have it all figured out. And so if you don't have it all figured out, this is the place for you, because we're following Jesus together. We want to see him and experience him for who he is. And so sometimes we get hung up on our inabilities, don't we? Think, well, if I was a better communicator, or if I was a better leader, or if, if I was more intelligent, or if I, if I was more creative or more outgoing, then God could use me. And and we focus so much on our lack of abilities. I tend to focus on my failures and what I am not. And it's really kind of funny because, because God doesn't really need our strength, does he? He doesn't need us to be like talented. Because God, he's got skills aplenty. He's like the guy, he spoke and the world came into being. 
uh, Jesus, he's the guy who, who died and he didn't stay dead. He got up and then he ascended into heaven. So, I mean, it's, he's got resurrection power on his side. So your skills and your abilities, well, they're wonderful and great, but God doesn't really need them. He just wants to use you. In fact, we can think that our shortcomings can stop the work of God in our lives. And that's not true either. It's really not. It's really kind of arrogant for you and I to think that, well, my failures and my shortcomings, they can stop the work of God. I don't think so. That's like, that's like a tic-tac stopping a tsunami. Because the power of God is more than we could ever imagine. It's greater than your failures, your, your shortcomings, and your sins. And so the first test of seeing God and experiencing His peace is seeing yourself like God sees you. Another thing we learn from Gideon, check this out on the screen, is that peace requires sacrifice. And think about what they're going through. They're running for their lives every time the Midianites came. And they, were, they had to be starving. They had to be. They had to be. And look at Gideon's sacrifice. He offered an entire goat. And so he left the angel, you know, killed the goat, cooked up the goat, and made an epa of flour, bread for, without yeast from an epa of flour. Now, if you were around for part of our last series called Goliath Must Fall, we learned that an epa, epa of flour is 36 to 40 pounds. That's like, that's like a, lot of, that's a lot of bread. In fact, I'm a Texas boy. That sounds like a bunch of biscuits and gravy. And so, and so but, and he offered this to God, and he, this is what he could have used to feed his family and, and more. And they, those, were, those were dire, dire times. And did God need biscuits and gravy? Was he hungry? Did he need the food? Did he need the goat? Did he need the broth? No. The, the process of sacrifice is us placing our confidence in God. It's never about the sacrifice. It's always about our own hearts. It's always about us. And so when you and I, when we offer sacrifices to God, we're, we're shifting our confidence from whatever it might be to the God of the universe. We're shifting our confidence in ourselves to the God who gives us peace and hope and love. That's what it's about. And so whenever you give of your time or your money or you place your reputation on the line of what people may think or even relationships and the outcomes of your circumstances, you're offering those things to God. Now the goat and the flour and the broth, that was only the first sacrifice that God asked Gideon to offer. The next one, God said, Gideon, I want you to tear down the altar to Baal in your town. Tear that thing down. And this was a big deal. And so... You see, Baal, he was supposed to be the god little g of all the gods. He defeated the other gods, so he, was, he had authority over the sea. He was the sun god. He had authority over the weather. And even he was supposed to have authority over death. And if you're a true worshiper of Baal and hard times were on you and your country, the thing you're supposed to do is offer your firstborn. It's wrong. Just wrong at all levels. So he said, destroy the altar to Baal. And he said, I want you to go in your front yard and cut down the Asherah pole your daddy put up. And that's getting a little close to home, isn't it? And Asherah, she's a, she's a fertility goddess. And so worshiping Asherah involves sex. And it was, it was uh, just an aberration to God. And God said, cut that down and use all that wood to offer a proper offering to me, to the true, the true God. And Gideon did that, but he was a little scared, so he did it like at 3 a.m. at night. And I can identify with that. 
And so here's what happened. In the morning, it didn't take them long to figure out who did it. And they came knocking on Gideon's dad's door. They said, Joash, send your son out here. He deserves to be put to death because he destroyed the altar to Baal. And I think Joash was inspired by Gideon's obedience. Listen to this. This is what Joash said to the people, to the mob outside of his house. He said, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save Baal? If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone comes to break down his altar. And so because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbaal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. And the name Jerubbaal literally means Baal smasher. And they called him Jerubbaal for the rest of his life. It's kind of funny because when we're reading the Bible, I mean, in chapters, chapter 7 is just like the next chapter. And it says, and when Jerubbaal said this, and in parentheses it says Gideon, like we've just forgotten. But they literally changed his name. He was called Jerubbaal, Baal smasher for the rest of his life. And so when we offer sacrifice, we need to realize that we're offering of ourselves. We're placing our security in God. And that's where peace comes from. It doesn't come from those external things that we see on the outside. It comes from God himself. And the next thing we learn from Gideon's interaction with this angel is that we need to remind ourselves where peace comes from. Check this out on the screen. We have to remind ourselves where our peace comes from. And I want to give you a little bit of context to this. This is kind of a cycle that Israel had been in. You know, they'd obey God, they'd fall away from God. Obey God and fall away from God. In fact, in Judges 5, it ends with Deborah taking King Sisera's life. And King Sisera, he had been oppressing the people of Israel and God literally laid him in her lap. You know, no pun intended, that's exactly what happened. And the very last verse in chapter 5 says, Israel had peace for 40 years. And the very first verse in chapter 6, which is Gideon, it said that Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And for us, it seems really awkward. Worshiping Baal and the Asherah God, it just seems so far-fetched to us. But let's bring it a little closer to home because they were just copying the people that they lived around. They were just kind of copying the culture and the, the people around. They started finding security in the things that the people around them found security in. And this would never happen to us, would it? Never. I mean, who in this room would ever look to money for security? You know, not me. You know, we don't place too much stock in what other people think, you know. Those Facebook likes aren't that big of a deal. Instagram likes, you know, the little hard things, those aren't that big a deal. But here's what is a bigger deal to some of us, maybe our reputation or what people might think of us if they find out what we really believe. And this one, man, how about this one, man? We would never, ever measure our significance by the power or influence that we have. No, not me. <laughs> And so what Gideon did was he built a huge altar. I mean, he stacked stones one on top of the other, and he made a huge altar to God, and he named it Jehovah Shalom. And so every time he walked by that thing, he was reminded, God is peace. God is my peace. And in fact, every time other people walked by, they were reminded that God is our peace because it's easy to forget that God is your source of peace. You see, things were good for Israel. And the same thing can happen to us. You know, when things are going so good, we can kind of tend to drift away from God because we don't really have to cry out to God because things are pretty good. And another time when we tend to forget that Jesus, that God is our peace, is when things are going bad. 
Because when the whole world is crashing down around us, we can pull out the finger and start blaming God, saying, God, you should fix this. This is your fault. You've got to take care of this. And we forget that God is our source of peace. So pray for me. I need to remind myself that God is my true source of peace. And here's some things that many people do to help them experience God's peace, to help them remind themselves that God is their source of peace. And journaling is one of those things. And some of you, you love writing, putting the pen, just using, having that ink on paper, it helps you focus. And that's a great, great way for you to not just relieve stress, but to remember what God has done for you. And I'm not much of a writer, but here's something that helps me is I'll put significant events as a recurring thing in my calendar. So every year I'm going to be reminded, you know, that's when I gave my life to Jesus. That's when God set me free from this. That's when I experienced God in a significant way. And it brings peace. It reminds you where your peace comes from. I even have some special things that remind me of God's peace. This, this right here, this is my dad's Bible. And my dad's with Jesus. And uh, I had a great dad, so I've got no excuses at all for any of my problems or misbehaviors or whatever it may be. And so this sits on the coffee table in my office. So every time I walk in, every time I sit across from someone else, I'm processing things with them, I see this. And I'm reminded that, you know, God loves me. You see, my dad, he was my greatest cheerleader. He loved me, and the way that he loved me was pretty much the way that God loves me. And so I don't have problems with God, partially because of the love my dad gave me. And, and that's a great thing, so I'm reminded. It gives me peace seeing this. Another thing that I have, it's, uh, it's this little beanbag here. And this beanbag held my grandparents' door open, you know, because it was an old house, it shifted, and the door always fell shut. And, and in fact, I use this all the time, almost on a daily basis, because it holds my son's door open. You know, because when our contractor installed the door, he didn't do a good job, and it falls shut. Now, the, of course, the contractor's me, and you get what you pay for, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, nonetheless, you know, every time I'm reminded, because my grandparents loved me, and I'm reminded of the blessing of God upon my family. What an awesome, awesome thing. And so that's me. A beanbag and an old Bible aren't going to work for you probably. But you find what does. There's people in this room right now and you've got a cross around your neck. And I know crosses are stylish and they're fashionable and plenty of people who don't love Jesus wear crosses. But for you, every time you see your reflection, you're reminded that Jesus died in your place. You're reminded that, that your hope is in heaven. And what an awesome thing that is. Every time you feel that around your neck, you, you're reminded of the peace of God. And so some people wear crosses. Some people have bean bags. Gideon built an altar. What are you going to build to remind yourself that God is your source of peace? So friends, let's, let's remind ourselves of where true peace comes from. And the next thought today is that when God gives you peace, he expects you to use it. Check that out on the screen. Let me just be honest. This is my least favorite point of the entire sermon. I mean, because when I started, I, okay, let's talk about Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. Oh, this is going to be so comforting. I'm going to feel so good and be so happy. It's like, I don't think so. <laughs> you see, I want, I want the peace of God to be kind of like Prozac, kind of like a massage from God. But that's not how it works. See, what happens is that God gives us peace that equips us for his work. And in the midst of working for him, in the midst of serving him, our peace grows even more. 
And sometimes we can think that the opposite of peace is fear. And that's not true. Because, because just because you're at peace doesn't mean you're not going to be afraid. Because Gideon, he was terrified. In fact, one of the things that Gideon was famous for in fact, if you grew up in church, you probably heard the story about Gideon testing God. Here's what he did. He laid out a sheep's fleece. He prayed, God, uh, please don't be angry with me, but if you're really calling me to take on the Midianites and we're really going to win and I'm not going to die, please let this fleece be wet with dew in the morning and let the ground be dry. And he got up next morning, ran out there. He wrung out an entire bowl full of dew out of this fleece. And that brought him peace. And I don't know what happened, maybe later on in the day, who knows, who knows. Maybe he thought, you know, I left the dogs out too long last night. What if the dogs did that on the fleece and that wasn't God? Oh, no, oh, no. And he said, now, dear Lord, God, please don't be angry with me. I want to lay the fleece out one more time, and this time let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet. And that's exactly what happened. But God stretched Gideon's peace even more. You see, we learned that Israel, they had 32,000 soldiers. And God said, no, you can't take 32,000 soldiers because if you win with 32,000 soldiers, you'll say you did it yourself, which is really kind of funny because the Midianites, they had been like wiping the floor with the Israelites. They'd just been doing whatever they wanted, taking whatever they wanted and had no, almost no resistance at all. But that was too many for God. And I want you to think about how bad things were for them just as far as their odds. And so I'm guessing that because it described the Midianites, they had, you know, soldiers like locusts, you know, more camels than you could count. So it's a mob of soldiers and fighters. And so let's just say 40,000, just to be ultra conservative. And then it gets even worse because they invited the Amalekites and other kings in the area. So we're talking 50 or 60 or 70,000 soldiers that they're going up against. And God told Gideon, Gideon, just tell all the soldiers who want to go home. If you want to go home, that's fine. Just take off, check out, no worries. 20,000 soldiers left. How do you lose two-thirds of your army when they're fighting for their homes, they're fighting for their places? It's not just fighting for a cause. And the reason that they lost two-thirds of their soldiers is because they thought they weren't going to make it through the battle to begin with. They've got 10,000 soldiers left. Gideon... And God told Gideon, that's still too many. He said, time to call a water break. And so Gideon watched all the soldiers. And God said, all the soldiers that bend down and drink out of the water, put their lips to the water where they can see what's going on and grab their sword if they need to. Tell all those guys to go home. And then for the goofballs who scoop it up and then lap like a dog, blah, 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 blah. I could not find any significance in the dog lapping part. Sorry, I tried. Somewhat, somebody knows there's some significance there, but I couldn't. But 300 soldiers, think about the odds. 300 soldiers versus 50 or 70 or 80,000 soldiers. And here's the plan that God gave Gideon, that he gave to his 300 soldiers. He said, every single one of you, I want you to light a torch, grab a pot and stick that torch inside the pot and carry a trumpet with you. And then completely encircle the Midianite camp. All 300 of you, all the way around the Midianite camp. And then when Gideon gives the word, I want you to smash the pot, hold the torch high, and blow that trumpet, and yell, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And when they did that, confusion filled this camp. 
and the people who were cocky and arrogant that they could take down the Israelites no matter what, they started killing each other and they ran in fear. And these 300 soldiers, they started chasing down thousands upon thousands of these soldiers. And it wasn't like a, li- a, little, a little chase and a little fight. They ran for days from town to town to town, day after day after day. They even crossed the Jordan River and they went after them after the Jordan River. And because they acted on the peace that God gave them, they had even more. Because the peace of God fills us with courage. It makes our confidence be in Him and not in us and not in our circumstances. So the best way to experience God's peace is to use it. That's what Gideon did. I think there's no greater example of this than Serve Week. Any Serve survivors in the room? Come on, raise your hand high if you're a part of Serve. Yeah, there we are. Now see, it was a little more exciting last weekend because here's what's happened. You've left Serve and everybody's in a coma. Everyone's recovering from Serve because it's totally exhausting. And despite the fact that it's stressful, despite the fact that it's exhausting, despite the fact that it's hard work, there's no other week in the year where we experience more peace than serve week. And you know it's true. It's this principle in action. I mean, it's kind of crazy. People actually take their vacation every year. They get vacation time off so that they can work at serve. (laughs) It's because they experience the peace of God in the midst of their circumstances. And here's something that most of us don't realize. Every year, there's one or two adults or students who sign up for serve, and they deal with social anxiety to one degree or another. And at serve, you're never alone. The only time you're alone is when you're in the stall. I mean, really. And it's exhausting. You don't even get to sleep by yourself. Here's what happened. In the midst of them serving, in the midst of them opening up their hearts to God, in the midst of them using the peace that God has given them, they find peace to such a degree that for many of them, it even wipes out the anxiety that they've had. Now that's Jehovah Shalom. That's God peace. What an awesome, awesome thing, which leads us right into our last thought today. It's this, that God's peace is bigger than you think. However big you think God's peace is, it's bigger than that because God's peace is supernatural. And God's peace, it's bigger than your problems. It's bigger than your hangups. It's bigger than your worries, your fears, your sins. And it's bigger than your circumstances. If you don't believe me, listen to the words of Jesus. John 14, I'm gonna put this on the screen right now. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Pray for me. I need a new understanding of my peace. Because up until this week, the focus of peace, when I think about peace in my life, has been me. And that's a me-sized peace. But what we need, we need a God-sized peace. We need supernatural peace. We need the kind of peace that's beyond the peace that the world gives. And, And the world, it does give good peace, which we need to use. Like, for example, yoga can bring peace. Now, yoga doesn't bring peace to me because... I am so ridiculously inflexible, it just makes me angry. But, but meditation can bring peace too. And even exercise can bring peace. Well, if you're in shape, but for the rest of us, it's just torture. And glory, hallelujah, a nap can bring peace too. Oh, yes. That's the kind of peace this world offers. But the kind of peace that God offers is much, much more than that. It's not dependent upon our circumstances or what we're going through. Because the kind of peace that God offers, it's a foundation. 
And so, yes, your world is going crazy. But underneath that, you've got the peace of God. You've got the strength of God, the confidence of God that lets you stare down anything, even death, and say that God is my peace. He's our peace. That's the peace that allowed Gideon and his men, 300 men to chase down thousands of the enemies of God. And that's the peace that allows you to serve Jesus whenever you hop in the car and go to work or whenever you hang out with your friends, whatever you're doing, that's the peace that goes with you. In fact, Philippians 4, 7, I want you to see this as I put it on the screen. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, God's peace, it's your protection from the things that the world throws against you. His peace, it knocks down condemnation. His peace dissolves fear. His peace, it will wipe out insecurity. Jesus had a lot to say about peace. I want you to see this in John 16, 33. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have vacations. I mean, in this world, you will have raises. I'm sorry. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart or have courage. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Ephesians 2.14 says this, that Jesus himself is our peace. He's broken down the wall that divides us from him. And Isaiah 9 foretells about our Messiah, and it says that he is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, that he is the prince of peace. And of his reign and of his peace, there will be no end. It's time for us, my friends, to make our peace with the God of the universe. I want to invite our worship team to come up. And as they do, I want you to think about, think about the things we've talked about today. What is it going to mean for you to make peace with God? Do you believe what God says about you? What kind of sacrifice is going to help you place more of your trust in him and have more of his peace? And what's going to be your reminder? What's your altar? What's your Jehovah Shalom that's going to remind you of God's amazing peace? And how are you going to use that peace? And when it comes, it'll be more than you need. It'll be more than you need. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I just confess before you, that I've been so self-absorbed when it comes to peace. And I've missed your peace, God. And maybe there's somebody else in the room and, and you've been facing challenging circumstances or whatever it may be and, and you just need to confess to God and to me that you need peace. You need a touch of God's peace. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? Every head bowed. Oh, yes, so God bless you. Yes, 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 thank you. So Jesus, we confess our need for peace. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit right now. And in Jesus' name, we cast down the lies of the enemy that cut us down, that cut us off from you. And we receive your truth, your love, your life, your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that our failures don't define us anymore. Thank you, Jesus, that the chains of our past are gone. And together, we choose to live for you. Our hope, our strength is in you. And maybe you're in this room and you've realized that you've never really, really made peace with God. You've never settled your salvation. You've never placed your entire confidence and hope and trust in Jesus and you're ready to do that. Well, my friends here at Union Chapel, nobody prays alone. And so every, everybody, church, everyone in the room, I want you to pray out loud after me. Dear Jesus, 
I confess my sin to you. I thank you that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. I choose to live for you. I choose to live in your peace. I choose to live in your grace. And I receive and give your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.